Blog Talk Radio. Glamour Fearless, tribute to Luther Vandross. I know your eyes in the morning sun. I feel you touch me in the pouring rain. And the moment that you're far from me, I want to feel you in my arms again. And you come to me on a thousand breeze, keep me warm with your love, then you soften me. And it's me you need to show. How deep is your love? Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it's my honor to host tonight's tribute to Luther, celebrating his career during the 1990s. That's my favorite decade of Luther's because that's the decade in which I first started working for him. And that song was from the Never Let Me Go tour, uh, which I started in 1993. Well, tonight you're going to meet several of Luther's former band members, vocalists, friends, and fans from near and far. Plus, we're going to be playing Luther Trivia with Luther Vandross historian Leo Petrosin. And a little later on, Liana is going to help me test her knowledge with career highlights during the 1990s. But like I said, in the 1990s, not only did Luther score a series of multi-million dollar selling albums containing chart-topping hit singles and perform at sold-out tours across the U.S. and around the world, but he also took home some of the music industry's biggest awards for performing, writing, and arranging. He actually won his first Grammy Award for Best R&B Vocal Performance for the song Here and Now in 1991. But like I said earlier, my favorite year in his career in the 90s was 1993 because that's when I first met him. I w- uh, began working on the Never Let Me Go tour. We were rehearsing at the Staples Center in Minneapolis, and I'll never forget the first time I met Luther. I actually walked into the arena, and it was completely dark except for the stage lights, and Kevin Owens and Lisa Fisher and Ava Cherry were on stage, and the band was perform- performing in the pit, and I could hear his voice singing. It was like crystal clear and 
in stereo and uh, it sounded like the record and then suddenly it would just stop and I would hear someone say, Nat Adderley, you need to change this part of the arrangement. And then two seconds later, the song would begin again and I would hear this booming voice of Luther's and then it would stop and someone else would say, we need to change those lights, we need to add more amber gels. And then the um, music would start up again, I would hear the voice and then it would stop and then he'd be telling Kevin or Lisa something he wanted them to do with choreography. I didn't know until the lights went on that there was only one person using a microphone, and it was Luther Vandross. Not only was he singing the songs like they sounded on the records, but he was actually reviewing every aspect of his show. He was so hands-on with the music, with the choreography, with the costumes. It was incredible, and it took my breath away, and it was just such an honor to work with someone who was such a visionary man and so talented in so many aspects I, I, I just can't tell you how blown away I was so there I was um, I was a huge Luther fan people always want to know how did you get a job working for Luther well I was a huge Luther fan and I worked in theater and a good friend of mine told me there was a last-minute opening to go out on the Luther Vandross tour and I was blown away so I showed up in Minneapolis uh, ready to get to work I was on the lowest run of the wardrobe department and uh, I, my job was really just to take care of the band's clothes. But along the way, I got roped into helping out with other things. So one of the things I had to do, if you ever, never, if you ever saw the Never Let Me Go tour, was uh, re-bead the shoes. At that time, everyone was wearing these beaded ball gowns and costumes, and they had bead, beading on their shoes. And Ava Cherry, if she's listening tonight, would always crush her beads, so I'd be spending hours the next day re-beading those shoes for her. And so anyhow, I was, in, I was backstage the whole time, and they were um, rehearsing, and one of the cues, uh, Luther had to do a quick change, and because they were performing in the round, he couldn't come off stage to do the quick change. He had to do it right there in the pit. And the cue in order to go out and do the cue, uh, quick change was a Luther Vandross song. So there I was doing my beating, and uh, the wardrobe department was trying to figure out the cue for the Luther Vandross song, and I, I said to someone, what are you doing? That's not the song you would go out on. That's Stop to Love. The cue is Give Me the Reason. And uh, Lenny, uh, Lenny, who was the leader of the wardrobe department, said, how do you know that? I said, well, I know Luther Vandross songs, and that was it. The next thing I know, I was chosen to go into the pit, and I helped out on, uh, with that quick change with Luther Vandross, and that led to my career with Luther, which went on to be his personal assistant, and it was really um, just an incredible journey. Well, guess what? You're going to hear a lot more stories like that coming up with my guests who include Tawasa Adji, Kevin Owens, Paulette McWilliams, Cindy Mizell, Pat Lacey, Savita Williams, David Jones, Darren Margo, Leo Petrosin, and our super fan, Jane Goodman from Great Britain. Plus, later on the show, we're playing Luther Trivia, like I said, and we're announcing a big surprise for New York City Luther fans. And we'll hear a rare audio clip of Luther's interview with Joan Rivers where he talks about his most personal song. So stay tuned because that's all coming up. But before we get things started, take a minute and donate to Divabetic at divabetic.org. That's the National Diabetes Nonprofit Organization that Luther Vandross inspired me to create. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Let's hear our super fan from Great Britain's favorite Luther song, which was a top 10 R&B hit in 1993, courtesy of Sony Music. Baby, 
song, and again, that's from the Never Let Me Go tour. Hey, I have a million memories of Luther, but one of my favorite, I always get asked by Diva Bedix across the country, what's your favorite Luther Vandross moment? I probably have too many to name, but tonight I chose the lighting of the Rockefeller Christmas tree because we were promoting probably my favorite album from the 90s, which was This Is Christmas, which was released in October of 1995. Um, I listen to it every year. I regret that we're not playing it. I just didn't think it was right tonight. Um, anyhow, I moved to New York City right around that time. Luther moved me across country from San Francisco to New York City, City, and I couldn't believe that somehow I ended up standing right next to him and Katie Couric and the mayor as they lit the tree for Rockefeller Center. It was such a huge event, and it was just blew my mind that that was able to happen for me. Uh, the funniest thing about that whole thing was that Sony had arranged for Luther to be in a horse-drawn carriage, but his fear of animals stopped him from doing that. So there's a little insight into that for you. Well, guess what? My first guest is a producer-performer who has performed with some of the industry's most popular artists, including Melissa Manchester, Elton John, Michael Jackson, Aretha Franklin, James Ingram, Reg Regina Bell, Lou Rawls, Paddle LaBelle, Nona Hendricks, and of course, Luther Vandross. Please welcome to the show KO, he's known as, but he's actually Kevin Owens. Hi, Kevin Owens. Hey, greetings, Max. What's up, my man? How are you? Thank you for being on the show tonight. We appreciate it. Um, oh, I'm honored to be on the show tonight, and I've been listening, and Max, oh, Max, this is such a pleasure. Max, you know, your story is, um, there were things that 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 everyone has a story with Luther. And just hearing what you said was just, I was like, wow, I didn't know those intricate things. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, I'm sure everyone has such great, great, great memories, and everybody has a wonderful story to tell. And just hearing you just blew my mind, you know, just knowing the intricacies of it. You know, I saw you come. I know when you came. But all those things I didn't know, you know, your actual steps. You know, How it all began, great. yeah, right? Well, you know, people, yeah. it's so funny, Kevin, because so many people are fascinated by the Luther story, and they're always wondering, like, what was it like to perform with Luther? But I think it's, I wanted to, you shared a dressing room with him, and I think a lot of fans out there would be surprised to find out that he had a video game in his dressing room. <laughs> Centipede. Millipede, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, he changed them around. Yes, and that was such a nice great pastime just sitting there and playing the game. Everybody came in there through there and got on and got on there. He was the champion. I'm sure everybody will tell you. He was really good at it. You know. But I mean he was just <laughs> so yeah. comfortable before a show that he could play a video game before, you know, he played Wembley Stadium, right? Say that again? I said he was just so comfortable with his talent that he could play a video game before he went out to sold out crowds anywhere around the country mm -hmm. or at Wembley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. Well, Max, you know, you know, you and it's like you're right. You know, when the machine was broken, you know, you know what those days were like. <laughs> you know. Oh yes, yeah, I did. It kind of yeah, you know. But you know, we know that that relaxed him. He just liked to sit there and, and play that game, and he just took his mind off of every other thing. Um, you know, pretty sure at that time, and yeah, it was very relaxing. But now, how did moments, you meet? How did you meet Luther Vandross? Well, okay. Um, I was a member of a group called Revelation. Uh, back in the early 70s, I'm back there somewhere. And Benny Biggs, uh, Arnold McCullough, um, you know, some great session things, you know, um, was the makeup of that group. And, you know, Luther knew those guys. 
And so when I became a member of the uh, group, you know, Luther heard me singing, I guess, in a session somewhere. And then he kind of kept his eye on me. You know, he knew about me. Um, and then one day, um, uh, by that time, I had went to Ray Goodman and Brown. So I was with Ray Goodman and Brown from the 80s to, to like 1985 when Luther called me. But Luther called me in 1985. It was Fonzie, actually. Actually, Michelle Cobb, uh, Fonzie was looking, Fonzie told Michelle, that Luther was looking for another backup singer. And Michelle said, well, have you talked to Kevin? Do you know about Kevin? Because Michelle and I were singing backup for Regina Bell at that time. And so, and he said, no. So Fonzie gave, gave um, me a call and asked me would I be interested. And I said, well, I'm with Ray, Ray Goodman and Brown, and I don't know. He said, well, go back and talk to the guys because, you know, Luther would like you to be part of his entourage. So I went and talked to the guys, and uh, Alan really, you know, had to think about it. I got back to Fonzie, then Luther called me. And he said, K.O., he said, listen, man, he said, to blow up. <laughs> he said, that word, he said, I'm about to blow up, man. He said, I would really love to have you. I've been watching you. I love your voice. I love the way that you move. So I went back to Alan Billy. They gave me their blessings. They said, thank you, man. You've been right by us. And so you go on. He said, and you can always have your spot when you come back to raise them around whenever you're, you're finished. And that's how I got with Luther. And then the first rehearsal was in New York. And it was Alpha was there, Ava, Lisa. And that's how I met Luther. That's how I first got with him. And then how did the choreography come out of it? Because not only did you sing, you were on stage doing all that choreography. When I, my first tour, you know, like I mentioned to everyone, it was in the round, and you were in those beaded suits, and the girls were in the mm-hmm. beaded ball ga- gowns, and the mm-hmm. stage was going one way, and you were going the other <laughs> way. And, I mean, it was just so, I mean, did you have all that tra- training to do it? What was that like to do that? Yes. Yes, we did. Well, you know, um, may he rest in peace, and God bless him. Lester Wilson was the first uh, choreographer that I encountered with Luther and Lisa and Ava. That's when he was going to that next level, and he hired Lester Wilson. And Lester Wilson was from that school, you know, the California school. He did, uh, um, you know, all those divas from California, Soul Train. That was Lester Wilson and all those, and, and, and Michael Peters. You know, it was that caliber of a dance. So, we were actually up under his instruction, and, and he and Luther were putting together this this great vision of a, of a stage show with the, with the choreography, everything from the walk, the way you walked, the way you held your hand. Uh, uh, Lester Wilson was into an airte, the artist airte, air so most of his movement was that very elegant stuff, and Luther was looking for that elegance and, and, and so that it would accent those long beaded gowns and how the ladies walked in them and the whole look of it. So being up under his instruction taught all of us. It taught us balance. It taught us discipline. Um, he didn't take no mess from us, you know. Um, to Lester, we were like kids in his hands, putties in his hands. He was the doctor, and he needed to make us, and he made us, um, you know. And um, uh, he and he and Luther would just go back and put together these fabulous concepts, and then the next thing you know, Luther would come in and take a look at it. Sometimes he would dismantle it. Everything, and you could see the frustration on Lester's face, but then they were going to their corner, and then, you know, Lester would come back with something else, and, and Luther would love it. So that's how we got there. Uh, Lester Wilson was the, was the integral part of that, um, making us those kind of dancer singers that everybody witnessed. 
Well, you, I mean, it was such an amazing experience to watch you on stage. Now, you oh. uh, recently wrote a book, So Amazing, Through the Eyes of Kevin Owens, My 32 Years on the Road with Luther Vandross, Ray Goodman, and Brown. And in that book, mm-hmm. which people could get, uh, you talked a lot about my first tour, which is the one with En Vogue. Yeah. And actually, when I was <laughs> reading the chapters, Kevin, it, that's when it, all the memories started coming back to me. So, um, oh. I, you know... Luther was very old school. There's a lot of stories around him with Anita Baker, and there's a lot of stories yeah. around En Vogue. I do, I do yeah. want to take a minute to talk about the En Vogue thing because it, it is kind of interesting okay. that there's been a lot of speculation. So just clear up the rumors. Uh, you tell it so succinctly in the book. In a nutshell, um, I want to get your insight into it, but what you're saying is like they had agreed to, En Vogue had agreed, sat down with Luther Vandross and the management ahead of time and agreed to what songs they were going to sing, where they were going to be on stage, what they were going to wear before the tour started. As the tour was beginning to unfold, En Vogue started mm-hmm. to blow up with their singles, and, and their team got a little bit thinking they were you know, the hot mm-hmm. new thing. And at the same time, mm-hmm. they, uh, Luther was the headliner. So at one point, mm-hmm. things began to really kind of uh, uh, derail a little bit between the mm-hmm. two camps. And now you could pick yeah. it up from there. Well, the derailment started at the point, okay, once all of the agreements were done, because Luther would come back, and I remember sitting in rehearsal in California, because that's where he was having the meetings, and that's when all of those new beaded gowns were being done, and we were in with Tony, Tony Chase every other day. Arrest, may he rest in peace. Um, uh, and and so, uh, uh, so it was around that time when Luther would come back and say, hey, I had a great meeting with the girls, and we agreed on this, and, that, you know, they're gonna, and they're not going to wear, I already told them what I had planned for you guys, and I don't know. And I asked him not to. So it seemed like every time let a couple of weeks go by, he would find out, oh, boy, they had things made that were similar to what I asked them not to not to do. Those things we got over easily. Okay, he just went back. They um, changed up. But then during the actual tour is when they, you know, Luther had the special stage made. He always did. You know that, Max. He had a special stage. He had a beautiful banquet. Everything was really special for his stage. So the agreement was their band was on stage. That's in the contract. And so during that show, they started making comments, and which, you know, you could tell there were slides, slides that, you know, beyond uh, due to things beyond our control, you know, we're sorry that our show is coming off so-and-so, so, but we're not. And it was slides at Luther. So one day we said to Luther, you know, you need to hear this. So he went to the curtain, and he heard it. He let it go by a couple of nights. Then it started to get up under his skin a little bit, and so he approached people about it, um, that this was the way it reads in their contract. Then the wheels really started to come off the wagon when uh, they started getting rid of their band members one by one so that they can have more stage, okay? Um, Band members actually came to Luther. See, that's how every – that's one thing about our big brother. That brother – they everybody kind of looked up to Luther because they saw he was holding it together. He was he was cool. He was playing the big brother role. So their band members actually came to him, knocked on his door, and said, "Mr. Vanzo, hate to bother you with this, but you know this is what's happening. You know they fire me, da 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 da." And um, so that's when the wheels really started to come off the wagon, and then Luther was banging on the desk a little bit harder, but nobody was listening to him. And you know I saw how that got him because he worked hard you know, the kind of show that he puts on, 
everything we did was real. Everything from those gowns to the beads on them, and Max, you know what? How many nights you beaded that real cut glass, that real gunmetal? That was real stuff. Um, you know, we bought the real deal, and he felt that they were working out of what they had said. So that's when he started to get started to buy it back a little bit. And in Miami, he he told me he was going to change the uh, passes, and he wanted to borrow them from the um, arena because that day is. What, is the day when he got that letter. He got this nasty letter from management, and they were saying things, and you know that hurt him. So you know. Well, yeah, and that's kind of where the gossip took off with it. But the reality is, I mean, just going back to what you said, I mean, Luther had this incredible eye for detail on so many levels, and I think he he truly loved putting on a show. And if you're going to be part of his show, he wanted to come with it a hundred percent. So before you go, um, before you go, Kevin, just how would what how do you explain what it's what it was like to work with Luther Vandross? Working with Luther Vandross was my life dream come true with with from all of the things that I feel that I was prepared to do and I'm able to do more and I am gonna do more, but for that journey I feel that from my life from a kid up until I met him and the journey I went through with him that I was put here to do that. Um it was a fantastic journey. It was everything that I imagined and dreamt um, on my way up um, of what it could be, and I'm thankful and blessed that it was with an entourage of wonderful, talented people like my sisters and brothers that are on the phone waiting to be heard, um, sharing it with people like that. It's no coincidence that our lives have intertwined through Luther. Um, we, it's, it's a known fact that what Luther put together is world-renowned. It's something that was one of a kind. It's something that's going to take a a, a long time to, you know, kind of knock out the box, if you want to say. So, Max, every day with Luther was a good day, whether it was a happy day for me or another personal trouble that I was having. When I was out with him, none of that existed. Um, Right. Well, you might be interested to hear this, Kevin. So in 1993, when I started, the record sales for Luther's eighth album, Never Let Me Go, Mm. felt the impact of his lawsuit against Sony, which cited the the California Labor Code, which limits their personal service contracts to seven years. By then, Luther Mm. had been working for CBS Sony Records for nearly 11 years, fulfilling a 10-album contract that still had three more albums to go. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Never Let Me Go was the first new album not to reach number one because of all this lawsuit and going on with the mm-hmm. label. However, mm-hmm. as you know, it still contains some of, well, it contains some of my favorite songs. I'm sure yours too, that you got to perform every night during that year, including this mm-hmm. one, which is called Heaven Knows. Let's take a listen. Members who worked, who has worked with Carlos Santana, 
George Duke, Herbie Hancock, Winnie Houston, and of course, Luther Vandross. Please welcome to the show, Byron Miller. Hi, Byron. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey welcome. <laughs> What's up, Max? Thank you for making this time to be on the show tonight. I know you're busy promoting a new album, which we're going to talk about later, and uh, it's great to have you here. Man, good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in, in a bit. Good to hear your voice. In a, quite a while. Now, you have, um, you've had the rare opportunity to work not only with Luther on stage, but also in the studio. We can't play your song that you co-wrote with him, Dream Lover, from the I Know album, because we're playing Sony Music tonight. But you did, write, you did co-write a song with Luther, and I know the fans would love to know, what was that like to work with him in the studio? It was incredible. Well, I, you know, I wrote the track. I was in my studio in L.A. and put together a track. You know, he would would listen to songs that the band members wrote and if he if he dug the track he would write the vocal and the lyrics so i you know for years i was giving him tracks and never you know but one day i I hit go and he said hey man i want to do this track he flew me out to new york with all my gear and we stayed in the studio we ate the best food we talked trash we had a ball Plus, I made a lot of money, too. That made it most special. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then, and and we should say you toured with him for years. So how did you first uh, meet Luther and get to work for him? Well, I was, um, I was in L.A., and I ran into Marcus Miller. And um, I was talking to Marcus, and, and um, I said, Marcus, at that time I wasn't working. I said, man, if you, if you hear about anything, you know of anything, you know, shoot me a call. The next day, um, Nat Early Jr. called me. He said, hey, man, Marcus Miller told me to call you. We're looking for a bass player. And Nat had heard heard of me through, the, you know, the years of me playing with George Duke and whatnot. So he called and he said, hey, man, you got the gig. You don't have to audition. We're going to send you a ticket. And uh, flew me to New York. To, straight, and I, I got off the airplane and went straight to SIR and started rehearsing with Nat and Skip and, you know, Doc and, and Steve Kroon, they had never met me before. I walked in there, you know, not knowing anyone but Nat. So it was kind of strange, but they ended up being my brothers in crime. Now, what tour, so what was your very first tour? Um, what was the first tour? It was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the, it was the Anita Baker tour. Oh, it was Power of Love? Yeah, the Power Love Tour. Yeah, that was Sinbad open for you guys? Was Sinbad on that one, or is that Sinbad and then yes, Sounds of yes. Blackness? Sinbad, Sinbad was out on that one. This was in 1988. I joined the band. I believe me and Cindy joined the band at the same time. We both came in together. Oh, and she's going to be on the show in a little bit. So, okay, so now tell me, what was it? I mean, so you're in the studio performing with him. What was it like to go out on the road? Because right around that time, things really began to take on epic proportions in his career. You must have been part of his record-breaking run at Wembley Arena when he was doing, he did a string of shows at Wembley too, right? Or was that the same yeah, time? Yeah, I was. My very first show with Luther um, was at Madison Square Garden. And talking about a brother that was scared to death on the stage. You know, we were off stage, but scared not to mess up. And what did I do, Max? I messed up during House is Not a Home. And <laughs> Luca looked at me like if he had had a gun, he'd have shot me. He actually, you know, kind of told me off in the hallway of uh, of Madison Square Garden. And that just let me know the level of 
musician, man uh, that I was working with. You know, he didn't accept anything but perfect, and he paid for perfect. He paid great, and um, he expected you to be perfect on stage, you know. And from that time on, I never messed up again, maybe a few times, but, you know, kind of lightweight. But, you know, it just taught you to take that gig seriously because when I got off the plane, I played with, Santana, a bunch of real loose kind of kind of bands, but he ran a tight ship. I'd never seen so many fabulous clothes and dresses and stuff in my life. I was I was like blinded by the beads and all of that stuff. So it was it was a learning experience. It actually taught me how to put together my clothes even better now. You know, just thinking about the style of the head and you know the shoes he would pick and how he put stuff together. I'm, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I mean, I remember yeah, bringing the tapes to him from the shows right after they were done. They would hand me the videos, and I would give them to Luther, and then he'd watch them on the bus going to the next show and have notes for everyone based on that. Yeah, he did. He made me – he came in to rehearse – no, on, to, I thought he was picking on me, but he ended up helping me. He came to a sound check before a show – and he had his Walkman in his hand, and he had his headphones. And he walked over to me, and he put the headphones on my head, and he pushed play. And so I started listening to a live show that we did a couple of nights before. I was kind of dancing, thinking it sounded pretty good. He said, man, I don't like the way your bass sounds. He said, go get a bass. So the next city, he sent me with cash to buy a new bass. He bought it. And the next show he heard the bass, he loved it. I love that. All right. Well, now now you're out on your own, and you just um, you just had your you just released a new album. Plus, you've got some of your old music coming up on iTunes. Tell everyone what you're doing, Byron. Yeah, I am. Um, I have a brand now called Psychobase, and um, I just released my first single a week ago, and um, I just got a report that it's the third most added song on the Billboard charts. And it's only been out a week, and it's on my own label. So I put this thing out myself. I put my own money into it. So it's called Psycho Bass, and Psycho is me. And Psycho is is a dude sent from another planet to save the funk. You know, I played with George Duke and all the, you know, the Reach Forward and the Dookie Stick. So, and then I also have my own Psycho Bass made by MTD. So I'm branding that. I'm branding the name. I've got Psychoware coming out. You know, all of these kind of things, the business side of it, what I'm doing now, I learned from Luther because he was a very shrewd businessman. He didn't take no trash neither, no stuff. So that's kind of how I'm operating my thing now. And this thing is kind of taking off right now for me. So I'm really happy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And thank you, Luther. Well, congratulations. And and thank Thank you for being a part of the show tonight and helping everyone remember Luther and and spotlight the years of the 1990s in his career. We appreciate it. Thank you for remembering me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. That was Byron Miller. And, hey, coming up, you're going to meet several divas who've worked with Luther Vandross on the road and in the studio. You know, the beauty and extraordinary talent of these women helped to inspire me to create DivaBetic, the national diabetes nonprofit organization to help people at risk, affected by, and living with diabetes keep their house a home and learn how to prevent and avoid a diabetes health-related complication such as blindness or stroke. But first, before we meet the divas, let's hear a cut from Luther's songs album. This song he actually performed with the Spice Girls on a BBC TV show. Here's Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Oh, 
Storm with Bette Miller, Risa Franklin, Marvin Gaye, Mary J. Blige, Jennifer Lopez, Lauren Hill, Celine Dion, Whitney Houston, Pat LaBelle, Michael Jackson, the list goes on and on, and it also includes somewhere in there Luther Vandross. But she's probably best known to the Luther fans, not for her singing voice, but for her laughter, which is at the start of the Bad Boy song. Please welcome Paulette <laughs> McWilliams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I almost went into the laugh. Hi. Hi. I hi, wish you hi. did. <laughs> Thanks for you being on the show, Paulette. <laughs> I'm so grateful to be here, believe me. Now, you were one of Bette Midler's harlots, and is that when you met Luther for the first time? Yes, that Luther and I met for the first time uh, when, you know, once I became, I auditioned and uh, Bette took me in as a harlot, and uh, and the rest was Luther and I singing every at every Every time we could get together, we got together and we sang different things. We sang duets, you know, just things that we would make up on the spot. We sang at one of the Harlots' weddings. Uh, Franny McCartney was getting married. He and I sang Just the Way You Are together. <laughs> so we were singing buddies, yeah, and that's that's where we first met. And it was before Never Too Much came out, actually. So then you kind of stayed in t- So how did you get involved in being part of Luther's show? Oh, well, Luther called me because I was on the road singing. I sang the duets with Marvin Gaye on his last tour. And Luther called me and said, Letty, how do you like it out there with Marvin? (laughs) And by the way, I met Byron because Byron Miller was on the tour with me with Marvin. Uh, Byron was on that tour, so he and I had met on the Marvin Gaye tour. And Luther asked me how did I like it, and I told him I loved it. And then he told me that he wanted me to come on the road with him. And uh, and I came. I started on the road with him, but he and I already knew each other because I'd been singing on his recordings from like 1980. Um, but I didn't go on the road with Luther until around 19, mid 1984. So when you listen to all those Luther records, and there's so many fantastic vocal arrangements, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like, what's one of your favorite songs that you like to listen to because you hear all the voices of all your friends in in that song? Oh, my gosh. Well, I love For You to Love because he had Brenda White King and myself and uh, Cindy and to all of us, we were doing uh, certain little nuances that he loved. He called it bubbling on the on the, on the sound, like uh, if you were to sing something like, For You to Love, he would have us go, For You to Love. You know, he had us do things like that that... You know, other singers, when they sing backgrounds, they're not even aware of those things. But uh, um, he had us do incredible things. It was like going to school, working with him. Wow. So um, how did those arrangements come together? Was it on the fly, or did you guys um, get together several times and he tried different things no. out? Or? No. No. Luther already, I mean, Luther always had his idea for each song, he had those ideas going into the studio. I mean, when he created the songs, I believe, I truly do believe he had the background in his head because he was a background master. And uh, he had those backgrounds when, when we, once we got to the studio, he had it written out for us exactly where he wanted us to go, who he wanted to put on what parts. 
And uh, it was never anything that we had to do. It was always done by him, and we gave him exactly what he wanted, or we couldn't be part of it anymore. <laughs> he was, he was, he was just so. I mean, his ideas were such perfection when it comes to. And then later, I found out that he did the backgrounds on Fame, and you know, all of these other David Bowie, you know, all these other David Bowie songs. He was really, truly the background king. And uh, and and. Later on, and when I did sessions with other people, or when people were asking about, well, who's on the session? Well, who does she sing with? If we said Luther Vandross, they'd say, "Oh yeah, let her in." <laughs> oh my gosh! I because everybody, she has that reputation. Absolutely. Well, now I did choose the song "Ain't No Happiness Now" from the songs album for for your intro. And we're singing on I that think- too. Well, but I think this is when you transitioned from being in the pit with the band and you came out on stage and were performing oh, and we yeah. did all those kind of Sgt. Pepper costumes for you with the rhinestones yes. down the front. Yes. You remember they were in lavender, yes. white, and black. And so what yes. was it like, Paulette, to go on stage and perform some of the choreography and work with Luther that way? Well, um, it's so funny because I had dreamt of being on stage with everyone, but for the longest time I sat in the pit uh, singing the parts and Luther wanted me to kind of hold down, you know, the parts and and be that grounding force uh, for the singing while they were dancing. And then in 1988, Cindy came, and she and I were in the pit together, which I loved uh, because we had so much fun singing there together. It was just a great thing to finally go out there on the stage. I was so nervous. I was so nervous because I knew that Lisa and Ava and before that it was Lisa and Alpha, they were very much used to it. However, you know, my thing was just sitting there and singing those parts. So it was quite frightening. Uh, However, being a harlot, you know, the fact that I was a harlot gave me some insight and some, you know, idea of what it would be like, but it was, truly different because Luther's background parts were way more intricate to me than singing, you know, the Harlots, of course, we have wonderful parts, but Luther's parts were a lot more challenging to sing and dance with. <laughs> well, you did a spectacular job, and now you've gone oh, on and you. you're performing, um, you're solo doing jazz, and you're going all around the country. You're going to be in New York City in about a month and a half. I was telling all my friends about it. Plus, you're going to be in D.C., but you travel around the world now performing jazz. Yeah, well, you know, jazz has always been my first love. I, I sang jazz from a little girl, jazz and blues after hearing my mom sing those songs, and she wasn't a professional singer, but those were the songs that she chose to sing. So I was very much impressed by her, and I've always sung jazz. Um, and so I go all, I'm actually I'm going to be on the East Coast within the next two weeks. Um, I'm going to be uh, at Joe's Pub um, May 16th, Saturday, May 16th, and Blues Alley, I'm going to be there May 4th, um, doing, you know, the songs that I love and, and some new ones. Um, and possible little surprise, uh, tribute to Luther. We'll see what happens with that. We're working on that. <laughs> All right. Well, I love it. Well, thanks for being on the show, Paulette. Thank and you. Guess what? You're going to love this. We're going to meet who you were just talking about. She sang in the pit with 
Um, Paulette McWilliams, she's an amazing singer in her own right. She's worked with Shaka Khan, Mariah Carey, Alicia Keys, The Rolling Stones, Whitney Houston. And right now she's on the road with Bruce Springsteen. Please welcome to the show Cindy Mizell. Hi, Cindy. Hey, how you do? <laughs> Thank you for I'm taking time out of your busy schedule to, to be on the show. Yeah, oh, man. I mean, Luther's everything, so, hey. I'm here. <laughs> well, what's it like I'm, to hear I'm, Byron's I'm voice and Kevin's voice and Paulette's voice? Yeah, oh, my gosh. It's so good to hear. You know, our history is so rich. And uh, But right now I'm on tour with uh, Steely Dan. Oh, right. Bruce is um Yeah, Bruce is in hiatus. <laughs> and, he's you know, he's always creating something wonderful and new. So, um, But I'm out on tour. I'm at Coachella, actually, tomorrow night. Um here in um in California. Yep, so I'm on the tour bus right now getting ready to do sound check in a, in, <laughs> in a little bit. Something <laughs> never it. change. Huh? I, you know what? We do everything we can do. You know, when there's a will, there's a way. You know? <laughs> Well, I love it. Well, you have this interesting distinction, Cindy Mizell, of being pregnant on the road while performing with Luther Vandross. I think it did it happen all three times that you were pregnant? Um, It was three pregnancies, all my pregnancies with Luther Vandross, and uh, partially with Whitney Houston, also. And you were doing choreography with Luther. I don't know if you did choreography with Whitney. So, what was that like to be? pregnant and on the road touring. I mean, I think people are going to be amazed at what it must have been like for you. It was awesome because, first of all, I was taken care of. If you're pregnant, you need to be taken care of. And, you know, he, he really saw to it, Luther saw to it that I was, um, I had enough room to, you know, like in the back of the bus. He, he decorated the back of the bus, you know, like a nursery. And um, I had the, the, like, full-size bed instead of climbing in a bunk. And, I mean, you know, come come to my room, Cindy. You can have whatever you want in my room. You know, take a nap. Da, da, da. I'm making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and he's laughing at me. And all of those things helped me through the process. But I was scared to death tell him that I was pregnant because I'm like, oh, no, he's going to leave me home. Oh, no, I'm a liability. And he said, look, we're going to get some maternity clothes and keep on going. He said, look, Gladys Knight did it. Cindy Birdsong did it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this man is, oh, he he was uncle, cousin, daddy, brother, everything encompassing one person, teacher, professor, whatever you want to call it, but he was everything, and being pregnant on the road, I was so taken care of by all my loving brothers and sisters around me um, with, with him at the top of it, letting everybody know, take care of her, you know? So, you know, it's like, it's like a, a, you know, the snowball thing, you know? But he did, he (laughs) did make the the wardrobe part, he did make the wardrobe department make you a beaded maternity (laughs) top, remember? It was all beaded on the front and it was your maternity top. I don't know how you wore that. (laughs) It must have weighed 20 pounds. (laughs) It it did weigh a lot, but it was like, okay, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it like this and hold that dog on top of <laughs> whatever you got to do. And But it was such a great challenge because it's like, you know, it really teaches you how to really persevere, you know, out, 
outside of even music because it's like this is what we want to do. This is my love. This, you know, so having that heavy top on, shoot, we wear heavy tops every day in life. You know what I mean? So it was like I, I learned a lot through that whole process. No, and, I remember. Uh, I remember we took all those silk charmeuse pants by David Cardona and Pam <laughs> Lewis made maternity pants out of them for you. And I mean, you're right. He was really incredible. You, I mean, you're amazing, and he was really incredible through that whole experience. I, was, I personally uh, have this amazing moment when you were performing. You would have that solo during going in circles when we were on the songs tour. But what's your oh. favorite moment? Uh, what tour stands out to you or performance stands out to you about working with Luther? Gosh, you know, like the standout moments, oh, my gosh, like what, um, all of it? <laughs> but <laughs> if I have to, you know, pick out some time when, when it was like, oh, my gosh, he's entrusting me this uh, this solo spot where he said, okay, I want you to sing if this were of mine with me. And he didn't tell me. But he just started, okay, Byron, get a low D. And he said, do, do, do. And I said, and he came over to me. I said, oh, my gosh, i got to sing this verse with Luther Sanders live on stage in front of everybody, and I've never done it before in my life. And then Lisa came behind me, and she was feeding me the lyrics. And it was incredible. And then after that, you better go and learn the doggone song, Think My Girl. Or else, you know, you know, after the first time, you can get away with, you know, not knowing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But, honey, uh-uh. It was like, learn the song, you know, get it in you. I don't care if he never does it again, but you better get it in you. And uh, Skip, um, actually, Skip Anderson told me that, too, but you better learn the song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that was very special because to trust this youngster, you know, on stage, you know, it was like, you know, I don't know if she can do it or not, but he did it. And um, that was very special to me. And I've held it near and dear to my heart, you know, ever since. I mean, it, oof, I have this recording of us doing it. And, and I'm so glad that there was one out there on YouTube that uh, that I now have in my little library, you know? Great. How wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for being part of the tribute show tonight, Cindy. I can't imagine not doing it with you. I, it just it thrills me that you made the time for us tonight to be part of this. Thank you. Well, of course. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, one variety reporter referred to Luther. He said, "When Fred Astaire, what Fred Astaire is to dance is what Luther Vandross is to music." And he said that about his concert in 1994. So let's take a listen to a song that won Luther his very first Grammy Award for Best R&B Male Performance in 
Welcome back. You're listening to our tribute to Luther Vandross celebrating his career during the 1990s. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. And hey, it's not Diva Bedick without more fabulous divas. We've got three more coming up. You know, back in the 90s when I was working with Luther, Lisa Fisher couldn't make it to a concert, so he told me he had a substitute singer who was going to be there. I, didn't, I heard her name, but I didn't really know who it was. I didn't know anything about her until halfway through the show when Luther called her up on stage and introduced her as a lead singer for M. Tume. And she went on and she wore out that song, Juicy Fruit, which is just one of my favorite songs. I like fell out of the chair. Her voice has been described by the New York Times as an acrobatic gospel charge soprano. I am so excited to welcome Tawatha Ajit to the podcast. Hello, Tawatha. Hi, Max. How are you? Oh, my gosh. I still have shivers up my spine thinking of the night you sang Juicy, uh, Juicy, Juicy Fruit right there in the... Uh, um, I don't remember. I think you're at Madison Square Garden. No, no, it was in the West Coast. Oh, okay. Where was that? But you know what? Luther, actually, if I was there, he would let me sing. You know what I mean? He would let me sing my solo, you know, my solo song. So, I mean, it it was, but I remember distinctly doing that, but Lisa was there, but it was in L.A., and I think it was during the time of Anita Baker, and um, Sinbad was the host, um, and, and we did Juicy Fruit on that show, too. So, um, you know, he was very generous in that way. He would let us let us sing whatever songs we had done, you know, while we were on hiatus with him. Now, you have a really interesting story with Luther because you guys shared the experience of being top-shelf session singers who both then kind of transitioned into amazing careers because M2 made you really sad album, then you followed up with two uh, follow-up albums, and then you also right. had a solo album. So. You you guys were both kind of on the same, going through the same path at the same time. What was that like? Like, when did you first meet Luther? I met Luther. Um, I knew who he was because he had a, a huge commercial on television called Juicy Fruit Gum, uh, Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum. And so it's like, uh, at that time, I was working with Mtume as a contractor, and he, I wanted to get Luther on a session that we were doing. I believe it was for Stephanie Mills or Phyllis Hyman or something like that. And so I got in touch with Luther's manager and called him for a session. That's how I met Luther. I called him for a job. And then after that, he started calling me. So, you know, it was, you know, we, we went back and forth. And before you know it, I had done his demo for CBS, which was never too much. And um, and then I'd been working with him ever since until Juicy Fruit came out. Then I had to leave because M. Tume was going on tour. So, you know, our paths always crossed. And it's just, I always loved working with Luther because that was like getting the Ph.D., in whatever you were majoring in, because because with Luther you learned what it was supposed to be, the stage presence, the vocals always impeccable, and I was a willing student for Luther, you know. Well, Paulette mentioned it was the, the, these arrangements were quite difficult. I mean, for those of us who aren't musically inclined like I am, you know, I just take it for granted that it, you know, I'm so used to hearing those songs and your the arrangements in them. I never mm-hmm. realized how difficult they were. Where what were they like to work on, Tawatha? Well, you know, um, Luther knew exactly what he wanted. He knew what each singer could bring, and he also uh, gave us what we were supposed to sing. And if you couldn't deliver, then it's like, oh, but then, oh, perhaps I made a mistake. (laughs) You're not the one that I thought you were. But everybody that he chose, 
he gave us uh, exactly what we were supposed to sing because he heard it in his head. He heard what we were singing to make his song right. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah, I do. And but there are so many sopranos. It was like you, we had. We were just talking to Cindy Mizell, you, right? um, Lisa Fisher, and Cind, and um, Sissy Houston, right? Right, right. Well, you know, Sissy is godmother of us all, so Sissy can sing on uh, whatever she wants. You know what I mean? But um, Luther, we, we all had, we all did more than one thing. If we if we didn't sing the first soprano, we sang second. If we didn't sing second, we sang the alto. Well, when I was there, Sissy was always, of course, she's the top, and I always sang second. And uh, and I think while I was there, it was, um, I do believe, uh, who else was there? It was. I'm trying to name, remember all the singers. It was Philip Ballou. It was Fonzie Thornton. It was Brenda White, uh, myself, um, and then uh, Paulette uh, sometimes. And um, who else? Oh my goodness! Alpha. It was. It's so many people that went through this university. Went to, went through the Luther Vandross University. But the parts. You had to be able to do what he wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? We had to have the capability and the, the vocal flexibility to do what he wanted to do. And and that's what we did. But he also gave us liberties to do little nuances, which I heard Paulette talking about uh, before. And she's absolutely correct. So when we did Bad Boy uh, or we did, um, um, what's that, Power of Love, I mean, it was I mean, it was such a great thing to do, and, and no one realized at the time that it would hold up this long. You know, it's, it's been quite a few years, and it's like, like Paulette said, if you, someone knew you worked with Luther, that's, that's all you had to say, and they would l- let you come in and do, and do a gig. You know, it was, there was no question. If you could work with Luther, then that, you're the kind of singer that we want. And, you know, and everybody's, you know, taking advantage of that. Cindy, Paulette, uh, Lisa, I mean, everybody, uh, Kevin, everybody, because he chose uh, not to sound, um, you know, um, uh, what am I saying? Um, he chose the cream of the crop, and the cream of the crop is still standing today. I love it. Well, tell yeah. us, like, what's your favorite vocal performance before you go? Like, what song really, when you listen to the backgrounds on that song, do you go, oh, my gosh, we were just all on fire that day? Uh, you know what, Max? There's no one song in particular because they're all, they were all great because he did such great arrangements. And it was, it was, it was an experience just to be in the studio with, with Luther. Uh, and was, and it, was, it was hard work, but it was also a lot of fun. And so he made it easy. And so um, I, I can't give you one song. I mean, I know there have been nights when I've been standing behind him watching, like, the activator run down his neck. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, and he'd be singing. He'd do something extra special in "House Is Not a Home" or 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 super or superstar. So I mean, it's I have no one thing. I can't name one thing. All I can say it was from 1981 until "Dance with My Father." That's all I can say. From that, I love it. That's dance a with perfect answer. All right, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say that the next time one of the fans ask me. Thank you so much for being part of the show tonight, Tawasa. <laughs> My pleasure, Max. All right, have a good night. Hey, everybody, guess what? We've got a Luther friend. Yvonne Lewis is on the line. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Max. How are you? Good. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight. Oh, it's it's my pleasure and my privilege to Now, you go back a long way with Luther Vandross. I I really do. (laughs) I really do. I met Luther 
I think it must have been like 1979 because we were on the road together with Roberta Flack. And then when Luther did the change songs, Glow of Love and Search, and I was the vocal contractor for those gigs. And so I got him the audition, and that just really catapulted his voice into just everybody knew who he was then more so than before. So that was that was really fun for me to see how he just took off and Luther just like just like everybody was saying, Cindy Tawath and Paulette and Kevin, Luther was the consummate producer, the consummate vocal arranger. He knew exactly what he wanted you to do and and like they said, you had to do it. So but it was so much fun and and we he's a singer singer, so we would sit and listen to, you know, even when he's telling you what part to sing, he was just so awesome. He would call me sometimes and say, he'd call me why. He'd, call, he'd say, why, listen to this. And he'd just sing it over the phone. And I'm thinking, this guy, I mean, he sounds like he's on a record over the phone. He was just phenomenal and a phenomenal human being. And I don't know if, if your listeners really know this, Max, but, he was one of the funniest people on the planet. Oh, my goodness. He would have you just crying. You would laugh so hard you could hardly catch your breath. I know, you know, and it's kind of interesting because you heard me talking earlier about the whole thing that went down with En Vogue with Kevin Owens. And, you know, I think sometimes he got he gets painted into this, um, you know, the press ran with this thing where he was, he was the bad guy in that whole thing and the bad guy with Anita Baker. But everyone who knew him knew that. He was so, um, I mean, he was really funny and humorous, and he was really sensitive. I mean, I don't think people understand that he was just trying to really put on a great show for people. This is someone who I truly believe just was an entertainer down to his heart and soul, you know, and putting on a, and putting on a truthful show and giving your all every night in a show was so important to him. He didn't want to let Absolutely. down. Absolutely. He had a standard of excellence about everything he did whether it was designing his home, whether it was the gowns that his singers wore, whether it was the background parts that he arranged, he had a standard. And he he, he wanted to do, I really believe that too, Max, he really wanted to give his fans a really good show. He knew they were coming to see a good show, and he wanted to provide that. And he did. Oh, did he ever. <laughs> So it must have been really interesting to have known him when no one really knew who he was. And then really in the 1990s, he became a household name. He had the power of love. He had endless love. He had, you know, so many hit singles, and he was selling out all over. How, how, how do you think that success affected him in the 90s? You know, one thing about Luther, he, he was always the same. Now, he, he didn't take anything off of Anybody. I mean, if people came at him wrong, you didn't want to. You didn't want to come at him wrong. <laughs> but with that being said, he he was always a let's go get something to eat kind of guy. So there was never, with all the success, with all of the the accoutrements of of success, he did not change. What he did was he just kind of honed his talent even more. But his relationships with people, he didn't change. He was he was a sensitive, generous 
human being. I, I have a quick story I want to share with, with your listeners, Max, about Luther. It was Christmas time. Um, what year was it? I think it might have been maybe 1985, 84, 85. And he knew that I liked to lounge a lot. So he said, why? I saw these fabulous silk pajamas. He said, I'm going to get some for you. And I said, oh, that's so sweet. And so he said, now, I'm going to send the guy over to you, and, and he's going to measure you. They're custom made. He's going to measure you. Don't ask many questions. Just, you know, let him measure you and, and get him. So I said, oh, that is so sweet. So he sent the guy over. The guy measured me. And um, and then he came over Christmas Eve with two boxes. He said, okay, open this box first. And it was a small box. And in the box was um, were some slippers to go with the pajamas. So I said, oh, that is so thoughtful. And so then I opened the pajama box, and in it was a black glamour mink coat. That <laughs> was the, I mean, I just burst out crying. It was the most thoughtful, generous gift anybody had given me. And he, it was a surprise. It was just the sweetest thing. He was Absolutely. a wonderful friend. A wonderful friend. Well, we might have a surprise. I don't think as big as that surprise, but I think you're going to like this, Yvonne. Um, Leo Petrosin, who's part of, who's created the wonderful Facebook communities around Luther that everyone should join, sent me this rare, exclusive interview between Luther Vandross and Joan Rivers on the Joan Rivers Show that we're going to play right now, and uh, I think it's going to be a treat for everyone. Awesome. And we are back talking with Luther Vandross, whose album is Power of Love. And we were talking about, you're always so up and you're happy, and you, and you, you really see the, the, the cup is half full, you know? Mm-hmm. You're very optimistic, which is great. And what makes you say, what makes you cry? Well, um, I can cry uh, in, in movies. You know, I remember the first time ever crying in a movie was Love Story. Uh, and and I was very young, very, very, very young. When I, <laughs> <laughs> I was with my husband already. <laughs> <laughs> no, and um, I remember that movie. It all depends on what touches that nerve. Yeah. You know, because for me, it's an emotional nerve that can get touched. It can get touched by a movie. It can get touched by a song. It can get touched by betrayal. You know, and and it sort of rises up on you out of nowhere. For yeah. for me, it does. And, and I'm an emotional person. You know, I put passion into the most mundane things, and they mean a lot. You know, and uh, your songs are so and the songs full represent of love, that. Yeah. yeah, and they are full of love. They're full of love, and and you know, we as artists write about and sing about what what people who listen experience. Yeah. You know, that's that to me is more important than writing about my trip to the supermarket or the library right. today yeah. and you yeah. know what you know. So that's the type of writer I am. What song of yours makes you cry sometimes when you get on stage and sing it? Ooh, there's a song called Don't Wanna Be a Fool which is on this album. Right. Which is I, I don't write all autobiographical songs, but if there was any one song that is autobiographical, don't want to be a fool would be it. It sets parameters for what you will allow to happen to you. And, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll fall in love again, but um, I don't want to be a fool ever again. 
Again, it just kind of blew me away, and um, I think you could hear the humor that Yvonne was expressing earlier in that in that rare interview with Joan Rivers, and uh, it's so true. I want to bring in the gentleman who found that cut for us and shared it with us, Leon Petrosin. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and sharing that with us tonight. Oh, thank you, Max. It's an honor to be on here. I really appreciate it. How did you get that clip? <laughs> um, it, well, well, to make a long story short, um, I followed Luther's career when I first heard on the radio, Here and Now. When I first heard that song, just, you know, I was hooked. I said, I got to know who this is. You know, they said this, you know, the name Luther Vandross. I said, I got to have everything he's ever sung. I, I got to find out more about him. So the journey started there. Um and it was one day on TV. I remember I'd, I'd actually had a little tape recorder, so I kind of taped. I didn't have the VCR at the time to record it, but but uh, I had recorded off of the cassette um, that that show because it was when Joan Rivers had her own TV show. And I think that was like, a, you know, uh, spring of '92 or the summer of '92. So I, you know, taped that that interview. So it was really neat, and I and I it was just I was so glad to still have that cassette tape of it. So. Oh yeah, that was incredible. All right, well we yeah. um tell everyone before we play Luther trivia, uh-huh. tell everyone about the website, the 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 groups email the groups on Facebook. Okay, originally I had uh created uh Luther Vandross the early years and I did the date as 1969 to 1980 because I wanted to really just cover his you know kind of like his his beginning uh on TV on the first episode of Sesame Street with his group or with the group Listen My Brother. Um, so I wanted to start from there and then go through um, and just basically honoring his legacy uh, because he did a whole body of work from 1969 to 1980 with his background singing, um, you know, starring with David Bowie, uh, his career as a jingle and TV commercial singer and his uh, vocals in various studio groups, which I, you know, it's, it's probably about 10 or 15. And, uh, and then also he had his own vocal group, Luther, which was on Cotillion Records. Um, he had two albums, 1976 and 1977. 
uh, which which are very high, highly sought after now um, since they haven't been re-released. And uh, so that really covered just up to that point. And then also his career would change, you know, which kind of started his solo career, which the second group I created, you know, after I got positive feedback from the early years, um, I did that from 1981 to, you know, dance with my father. So I just wanted to, you know, honor his legacy. I love it. Well, they're wonderful. And you helped us come up with some Luther trivia. We're going to play it now. We're not going to reveal the answers to the end of the show, Leon. You're going to come back and reveal the answers, but uh, you'll give a little insight to this. So here are the five questions of Luther Luther trivia. If you want to play along with us on Facebook, you can right now. The first question, this is about Luther's career in the 1990s. What was the title of Luther's only LP on Virgin Records? If you you heard me talking earlier to Byron Miller, you might know the answer, right? That album didn't get a lot of uh, airplay, but it was a fabulous album. Did you did you uh, do research on that at all, Leon? Um, not a whole lot. Just uh, I remember when it came out, and Nights I remember Harlem. You know, buying it. Yeah. Oh yeah, Nights of Harlem. Jeez, uh, I'm trying to think of all the songs on there. Uh, oh, jeez, I'm trying to think. Um, Oh, he did a remake on that album. Uh, Are You Using Me is on that album, I believe. Yeah, All right, that number one, Leo, two, Leo number Sayer. Two, yeah. Number yeah. two, we're on the red carpet, Leon. Here we go. Who uh, was originally intended to duet with Luther on the song I Who Have Nothing on the 1991 Power of Love album? Oh, yeah. uh, we could tell everyone who is on that duet. Who's on that duet? We're not gonna tell Martha Walsh. Martha Walsh. So, yeah, yeah. Think- so try to figure out who was the first diva, who, who who did he send that song to first? And then third question, who did Luther, oh, you've got another one, who did Luther duet with in 1995 on the song A Lady is a Tramp? Mm. Oh, that's an interesting one. Okay, and then yeah. number four, what Super Bowl did Luther sing the national anthem for? They have to guess the year as well as the Super Bowl number. I don't know. It will be interesting to see if people could do that. I was at that concert. I mean, I was at the Super Bowl with him, and I remember the crowd in the stadium chanting Luther Vandross, his full name, uh, before he went on. It was the most incredible experience, I'll tell you that. And finally, our final question, what year during the 90s did did a Christmas song Luther first record and include on an album? What year was the, what year during the 1990s did Luther record a Christmas song that was included on an LP? Mm-hmm. Mm, those are pretty good challenges, Leon. All right, so you're going to mm-hmm. hang around yeah. and you're going to reveal the answers at the end. All right. All right. All right. All right. Stick around, Leon, because you're going to meet one of Luther's biggest fans from the UK. Hello, Jane. Hello, Max. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, welcome to the show. We wanted to show everyone that Luther has fans from around the world, and you're joining us tonight. This is awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Could you guess the answers to Leon's questions? Um, I had a couple of them, I think, yes. <laughs> okay, so what did you think of what was the title of the Only Luther LP on Virgin Records? Oh, my goodness. I think that is probably one of my favorites. I think it's, um, oh, my goodness me. Um, no, it's, I'm just starstruck. I can't do it. <laughs> You're letting down the new pen. We're giving you two buzzers. I Who know. Was Who do you think was originally intended That's to right. sing the duet with Luther to I Who Have Nothing? Oh, my goodness. 
Um, for the car. Do you know, I, I don't know that one. <laughs> Jane, you're letting you're letting down more than the UK right now. Who did who did I know you wedded with in 1995? I think I might know the next one. How about who do you think you wedded with in 1995 on the song "Lady Is a Tramp"? I think it was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> You got one right. Okay, and we're gonna. What year during the nineties? <laughs> what year during the nineties did he sing his first recorded Christmas song? This is a tricky question because it's not the Christmas album; it's a Christmas song. A Christmas song. Oh my goodness! Well, I think the I think the, I think the Christmas album was nineteen ninety five, wasn't it? Yes, I revealed um, that earlier. But thank you for yes. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> We'll hold on because Leon's going to reveal the rest of that. Now, you never saw Luther perform in concert, but you have a lot of his memorabilia, a lot of his photos. What's one of the things you treasure most about Luther? Oh, I actually have one of his jackets from the 1980s. You do? How did you Um, get one of his jackets? Well, I actually actually got it through eBay. Um, A gentleman who had bought a lot of Luther's clothes back in the uh, in the 80s and these big boxy jackets with the big shoulder pads and um, it also in, in the collection he had was that green suit it was I think it was a Versace suit um, and it was it was it was a pale mint green you've probably seen it in photographs um, but I didn't get that one mine is actually um, it's actually a, a cream linen suit very very understated um, so yes I, I'm very lucky to have that but um, loads of albums loads of photographs, press kit releases, um, lots and lots of things like that. So, yeah, <laughs> a very big growing collection, which is taking over a whole room in my house. Well, you know, we you heard earlier we had all these wonderful performers who've all worked with Luther Vandross, and you're one of the people who enjoyed the music. What would you like to say oh. to everyone who helped create the sound of Luther Vandross and work with him? What What, is, what did his music mean to you? His music is just everything to me. Um, I, I have I have become a fan later in my life. Um, I had listened to Luther uh, when I was a, when I was a youngster in my in my dancing days when he was playing um, when he was playing uh, background with Chic. Um, I remember uh, Change, go searching, and all those things, dancing to them. Didn't realise they were Luther at the time, but now I think I have. The, the time to listen to music. I have his music on nearly every day. It drives my husband mad. Uh, he's become a fan as well, though, having said that. Uh, he just, I think I speak for all, all the fans. You can't just be a fan of Luther Vandross. He just, he completely touches your heart and he becomes part of your life. And I think he gets into your soul like no other singer. Just can't imagine uh, a day without listening to his voice at all. Um, just an amazing singer and the perfection what's been really beautiful this evening is it's been wonderful to hear how everybody who's worked with him has so much love and respect for him as well and that's really been beautiful to hear that um just an incredible singer i can't i can't imagine life without him well, uh, yeah, it's been difficult. It's been a tough ten years for people, let me tell you. But we've, you know, we all have the music to celebrate him with too. And and thankfully, we still yes. gather. A lot of people got together for the star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And guess what, Jane? We've got more people coming up who are going to talk about Luther Vandross. But I thought you would be interested in this. This song that we're going to play next is from his last album at Epic Records. 
and it earned Luther a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Song in, the ni- in 1997. Behind the scenes, Jane, you'll love to hear this. This is a good fan trivia. We, ne- we nicknamed this album Bluther because of the photo on the front cover. Here's a lead song <laughs> from the Your Secret Love album, courtesy of Sony Music. Your secret love, why can't we tell somebody? Thanks for having me back. I always love having you on the show to talk about Luther. You know, you mm-hmm. met him on my first, very first tour in 1993 when we came to Montreal, correct? Correct. And it's, uh, I mean, that's, that stands out to me for so many different reasons. I'm glad that Kevin earlier touched on the, the En Vogue comment. I was afraid I might have to paraphrase, but uh, one of the first things I asked Luther was how long En Vogue was performing for, and his response was too long. So uh, and then he went on to explain the bit about have, replacing music, uh, excuse me, the musicians uh, with pre-recorded music, and he said at a Luther Vandross show you do not use a DAT machine, or I believe that's what it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it was sort of the beginning of a, a, a mentorship for me because he knew that I did some promo stuff, and he always managed to intertwine a bit of serious along with the with the with the very funny. Uh, the answer to your second trivia question, I believe, is I Know. Yes, The album I Know on Virgin, which is an album that I did promo for, and I mentioned that to him at one point. And uh, we got into talking about promo strategies, and, you know, he was very quick to let you know what he thought was a solid effort (laughs) and what wasn't. And, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned to him that when when it came to promoting the album in Montreal, there didn't seem to be much of a plan, and the the rep here at the time just sort of let me do whatever I felt like doing, and I uh, told him that I took it everywhere. I took it to black hair salons and stuff, and he said, well, you know, that's... uh, that's good. And what are you doing hanging around with all these black women? And it was just, it was, it was, you know, there was always a bit of funny mixed in with the serious. But I remember asking him as well uh, in our first conversation why he'd never come to Montreal. He'd always gone to Toronto. And he said, that's because they have a Versace boutique there and you don't. But then he went on to say that his label had told him that there was never a market here for him, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, in another conversation, I remember him talking to me about the importance of not letting uh, what lazy people say get in the way of doing what I want to do. And that was, you know, again, I was in a sense, I always felt the class was in session a little bit. Um, And when I'm, you know, I'm just thinking there's so many things that I could say. And I know time is limited, but uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of things uh, in that uh, his legacy, the the non-musical legacy for me, uh, you know, it spawned a few friendships, present company, excuse me, present company included, uh, as well as, um, uh, you know, I I remember doing a tribute night to him for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and I reached out to anybody who I thought might be able to come. I took a shot, and Lisa Fisher actually got back to me. This was about a decade ago, 
and uh, you know very graciously mentioned that she was you know appreciative of having received the invitation, but she couldn't make it because of course she had a, a gig with the Stones that night. But uh, she did invite me out to have some drinks with uh, with her and some friends of hers, and that's become a real sort of Montreal tradition. Or sometimes when I'm in New York as well, as you know, sometimes I get to run into you, and uh, and that's always fun. And uh, uh, I'm not. You mentioned as well that you're not much of a singer. <laughs> I have about one flat note. And uh, recently at a concert of hers in Halifax, she met up with some of us. Uh, after the show and we were sitting around and she led the table in song and uh at one point turned to me and said okay it is it's your turn to sing and uh i can actually say that i sang a verse of never too much with lisa fisher so um <laughs> I well i think know. one of the amazing parts of this legacy <laughs> is how much how many of people have gone on? We heard how Kevin Owens and Paulette McWilliams and Byron Miller and Cindy Mizell and Tawatha and coming up we have Fonzie uh, Thornton. They're all they've all continued on with their musical careers and and mm-hmm. um, it's exciting to know that that legacy continues. I mean, going back to the '90s because we're showcasing that moment. I think you know what's interesting about having you and Jane on the show tonight is just to tell the American audience how accepted he was in the broader markets in other countries and other parts of the world. That was very mm-hmm. mainstream. He was on the pop charts, you know, just wasn't an R&B singer. And I certainly saw that traveling with him. But in Canada specifically, he was a pop artist, correct? He was. And the the one show that he gave in Montreal is one that people still talk about. And that we're talking, well, how many years ago was that? About 22 years ago? People still talk about that. And uh, it's just because it was on such a level that hasn't been matched since and likely never will. And uh, that's another huge part of his legacy. I mean, he gave an exemplary show each time out. And uh, I'm glad I got to catch him the, the few times that I did. All right. Well, thanks for being a part of the show tonight, Dave. Thanks, Max. Uh, Dave just mentioned his love of Versace, and we have Darren Margo. Uh, Darren, you know, I love talking about Versace fashion. During the 1990s, it was the height of everything, right, going on with uh, men's fashion. Uh, Luther Vandross certainly had a huge Versace collection. What would you say about Luther's sense of style? Well, what was interesting was uh, Luther... He would come and look at the Versace collection, and as unique and as fabulous as it was, he would like to customize something that was already as fabulous as it could ever be. So he loved anything beaded or nate or printed or had metal mesh trim, and he loved the the ornate of the one of the kind, maybe if there were only three items made in the world, because we were Versace Beverly Hills, we carried it. And he loved the fact that, you know what, there's only three in the world and I have my size and no one else does. And he had multiples of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What? What stands out to you as like the iconic Luther Vandross style of the 1990s? I would say it would definitely be a colorful printed shirt. Um, at the time, Versace was doing, it was when he was doing the whole Medusa, so there was a lot of gold 
and ornate colours. So, uh, the fabulous printed Versace shirt, and then worn with a solid jewel colour tone. So, like with a bright blue jacket, or you know, a, a vibrant emer emerald green waistcoat. So for him, it was about colour and print. But what he did that no one else did, he would see the print he wanted, he would choose the colour, but then he would customise, like, I want an overcoat in 100% cashmere that exactly matches the tone of that. And we would put the request in. And it was something that not even Elton John had. This was the only one in the world that Luther Vandross had, and he, when he wore it, he he had such a, a passion and love. And when he bought this clothing, it wasn't just a person buying a great piece of clothing. This was a person who was a collector of fine pieces of art slash clothing. So he looked at these pieces as adding another part to his personal collection. And he has, like, such a sense of elegance, you know? I think, you know, he... I just loved his sense of elegance. I mean, he was so well-dressed when he would go to rehearsals for shows, you know? It was just not something he just did for stage. It was all through his life. And it's interesting to look back on the 90s, isn't it, Darren, and think about how colorful clothes were and still how creative they were and the workmanship. And, you know, same thing was going on with the music as well. I mean, so much has changed with fashion and music in the last 20 years. It's interesting to look back at it. Yes, and what's actually an interesting fact that maybe not too many people know, that he was seen in public with, you know, the prints, the colors, the intricate beading. This was from offstage, like when he was seen at events and stuff. But he also had, he also loved beautiful, classic, sharp suits, which I'm sure what he wore at rehearsal. And when he wore a suit, a, a custom-made Versace suit that he picked the color of, it was just such class personified. It was just pure elegance. And not many people saw him in the quieter clothes, but when he did wear the quieter clothes, it still reeked of such elegance. And he loved to just carry it off like, you know, as if he were walking on stage. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing those memories tonight, Darren. Really appreciate having you on the show. My pleasure. And just a final anecdote, a big thank you and kudos to you for bringing this show for the last 10 years and keeping his memory alive that so all of us can share something. You know, it's, it's amazing what you've done and continue to do for his memory, also for Diva Betic. And on that note, I look forward to seeing you in New York on Sunday. Great. All right. Oh, <clears throat> don't give away all the secrets, Darren. Guess what? We have a special caller. Um, this man has known Luther Vandross probably almost his entire life. Please welcome to the show Fonzie Thornton. Hi, Fonzie. Hey, Max. How are you, my friend? Nice to I'm hear great. you. I'm great. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, Max. I have to echo what Darren just said. You know, um, you know, thanks so much for keeping Luther alive and getting us all together and the fans and everything. This is just so great to hear what everybody's 
been saying, and of course, I know some of the answers to some of those trivia questions that were asked, but I won't get into that right now. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll um, bring you back on when we bring Leon on the end. I wanted to talk okay. to you about something specific, though, Fonzie, that happened in the 90s, because this was just a little bit ahead of me. Uh, yes. We mentioned it at the top of the show about, you know, when he was, um, the lawsuit he had against Sony, this must have been pretty incredible that he actually uh, was going, you know, trying to limit the personal service contracts to seven years versus 11 and what he had done with CBS Sony and trying to fulfill that 10 album contract that still had three more albums to go. He was really, you know, they, he was really fighting for what I think Jay-Z and several other people are trying to do with title now on the yes. internet. I mean, he was really fighting for the rights of the of performers, correct? Yes, yes, I think so. I think that, for, you know, artistic liberation is always so very important. A lot of people, you know, um, know that, that you get a record deal, you get into business with these conglomerates and stuff, but as an artist, you're still trying to protect your interest and protect the protect this part of your life that you bring to share with the entire world. So, you know, and we come from a long tradition in the past of so many artists who did not get their just due. You know, I was just reading something the other day. I was just reading something about the fact that Percy Sledge passed away and that he, um, I, I don't know if he signed all of his rights away to um, When a Man Loves a Woman, but he was not getting royalties for that song. So, again, just in that tradition, Luther was one of those people who was very clear-eyed about what it was he was trying to do. I don't know a lot about the, the details of the lawsuit, but I know that what finally did happen is that um, Luther went to Virgin and did the I Know album, and I'm proud to say that he and I co-wrote Nights in Harlem and also co-wrote Are You Using Me? So um, that was that whole period of time, but Luther was always so serious about he used to always tell me, whatever you do as an artist is always make sure that you get what is due you. He was, and he, he told that to so many of the people. I think that all the people that I know that spoke before, from Tawatha to Kevin to Paula and everybody, everybody um, has continued in the industry because Luther set such a high uh, bar for us musically, but also in terms of being business people and being responsible and knowing what the parameters were of having a career in the business. I, I want to say, too, that um, I, I listened to the fan, Jane, that came on from England. I've been touring with Brian Ferry since the end of the year, and I was over in England um, I was over in England last year when they released Luther's new compilation, which has a new song on it, Love It, Love It. So it's just, it's just so great to hear everybody loving him, because, again, at 13 years old is when I met him. He was 14. He lived across the street from he, I'm sorry, his sister lived across the street from me in the projects. And for all the dreaming that we did during that time, for it to have come to fruition in the fact that he is so well-respected and so well-thought-of, even 10 years after his passing, his music is playing on the radio every single day. So this is, Max, just kudos to you, like, you know, like Darren said, for just keeping this forum open for everybody and for people to continue to learn about him and continue to embrace this legacy. It's amazing, you know? Absolutely. Well, I thank you for being a part of the show, Fonzie. I mean, I think it's so important to give insight into who he is, you know, who he was and what he did. Yeah, absolutely. And like you just said, how how he touched so many people's lives. So thanks for being a part of the show tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Max. It. Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely. Yes. All right, everybody, listen, we're getting close to the end of the show, and uh, we've got one big surprise coming up for Luther fans who are based in New York City. 
Plus, we're going to get the answers to the Luther Vandross trivia from Leon Pentrosen. But I thought first we would hear another song that's become a divabetic anthem. That's right. When we tour around the country with our divabetic Makeover Your Diabetes outreach program, we love to close each and every one of our outreach programs with this song. Let's take a listen. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and it's time to meet my good friend and Luther's niece, Miss Savita Williams. Hello, Savita. Hi, Max. Welcome to the show. Gracias, baby. Uh, I've been telling people all week you've got a big surprise for fans in New York City. Do you want to let us in on the secret? Oh, yeah. On Monday, April 20th, which would have been his 64th birthday, we're all meeting um, at the Regal Cinemas in in Midtown to have a big birthday bash on screen. And what it turns out is it's his career retrospective uh, through concert video, his music videos and interviews, and it's all going to be on the big screen. So it's not a movie, but... It's on the big screen, so it's going to feel really great. And we have a whole lot of things happening. Um, Everybody should, if they're interested in going and can, go to his Facebook page and sign up there uh, because it's going to be a fantastic evening. I mean, it's going to start off, and you'll be there, Max, of course, because my life could not go on without you. Uh, I'm actually doing the pre-show, everybody. If you haven't gotten tired of hearing me, you're going to hear me one more time on Monday. I get to. You said I could tell my whole story about the 1990s. With uh, please. I will be there to edit you, mother. But uh, <laughs> we're going to do some games and trivia and give out prizes and and have a, a, a panel go on, so a panel discussion. Um and and we'll let everybody know who that is that day. So it's really going to be fun and very informative. I, I'm not even sure the video is, is all-inclusive like what we're doing right here, but it's a, a start because um, this is the 10th year that he's been gone, and we just felt a serious need to connect with the fans because everybody says they miss him. And, and uh, other than uh, DVDs, how do people connect with him? So the family has decided to do this on-screen party to bring the fans with the band members, with the singers, with the family. We're all together having a real low-down Luther celebration. So it should be, his favorite word, fabulous. 
I hope everybody can make it. Just like I said, go to his Facebook page and and RSVP. And rumor has it for fans like Jane over in the UK that if it's successful here in New York, it might tour. So stay tuned, people, for updates on that. And make sure you check it out. Um, It's Monday, April 20th. starts around 5 p.m. It's on 42nd Street. Go to the Facebook pages. I have it up on Diva Bedek's Facebook page, but Sony's posting it on the Luther Vandross Facebook page. It's selling out very quickly. It's a free event, but there's only so many seats, so you need to register while you can to make sure you can attend such a wonderful thing. Thank you for doing that for the estate, Savita, and thanks for being on the show. Anytime, Max. Anytime. All right, well, we're getting back to the games because everybody's wondering about this Super Bowl thing. My Facebook page is blowing up, Leon, about what are you <laughs> telling me about the Super Bowl thing? So let's go through the five questions and see if some people got them right. Uh, I think Fonzie Thornton obviously got the the first one right because he just admitted that yeah. he co-wrote two songs with Luther on this album. Yeah, what was yeah. the title of Luther's only LP on Virgin Records? It was? I Know. I know, that's right, and uh, what a great album. I hope people get a chance to listen to that. Number two, who was originally intended to duet with Luther on the song I Who Have Nothing on the 1991 Power of Love album? Jane from the U.K. couldn't really figure it out. Dave is emailing back thinking it's Whitney Houston. A couple other people have been saying, no, it's not Whitney Houston. It was supposed to be Phyllis Hyman. Is that correct? Was it Phyllis Hyman? No, uh, Anita Baker. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number three, who did Luther duet with in 1995 on the song Lady is a Tramp? Someone already said they think it's Frank yeah. Sinatra. That's That was right. That was correct. And I heard that that was the first duet they created around the duets project for Frank Sinatra. And because it was so, they liked it so much, that's what made them continue with that project and actually you know, created three albums off of that because Frank Sinatra went back and did duets one, two, and three. So Luther's duet with Frank really kind of cemented the concept of pairing Frank with uh, newer artists like Luther Vandross and and creating a whole new take on some of his classics, which is great. Okay, this is a stumper. No one is getting this right. I was there at the Super Bowl, so I can't answer it. But what Super Bowl did Luther sing the national anthem? You want to know the Super right. Bowl number. What Super Bowl number was it, Leon? All right. Super Bowl number 31, and it was in 1997, and the teams were Green Bay Packers versus New England Patriots. And it was where? Oh, oh, that I didn't get. I forgot to put that on there. I can't remember that. Not sure where. Yeah. Oh, my God, Leon, you I'm going to blow up your Facebook page that the Luther Vandross <laughs> historian does not know that that happened in New Orleans, people. We're, that was in yeah, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Okay. We went down and did You got that. me, Max. You got Super me this Bowl. time. <laughs> oh, my, I'm going to, wow, wait till you see me on Twitter later on tonight. Okay, and um, this one was confusing. I think I gave it away, and I didn't mean to. But yeah. what year during the 90s did a, a Christmas song – What? Year during the 1990s, did Luther record his first Christmas song on an LP? All right. It actually, well, this was kind of a trick. So, it actually he did he did record the Christmas song in 1992, and it was included on a very special Christmas volume two. And then he went on from there, and in 1995 yeah. he recorded right. his own album. Right. 
But that is yeah. amazing that the Christmas song is on a very special Christmas volume, too. And people should check yeah. that out as well. Yeah. Leon, you know, Ernest's yeah. thanking me about his legacy, but you really have gone out of your way to keep the legacy alive. You have the two Facebook pages that you mentioned, and you're also, yeah. you, you find these incredible archival recordings that you're now putting in. Uh, there's ways for fans to hear that. Tell everyone a little bit about that before we go. Um, what I'm trying to do is do a pal talk. And if you sign up, I'm trying to do, you know, every, you know, a couple hours during the afternoon or in the evening. Um, I have a Luther, it's called the Luther Vandross Music Room. And if anybody wants to, you know, join Pal Talk, it's free. And you just sign up. And then uh, I will post when I'm actually going to open the room on Facebook on the, you know, the Luther groups. I'll put that on there. And I'll say, you know, I'm going to open the room if anybody wants to come join for a little while and listen to the music. That way I can play music through the, um, through my computer into the room. Guess what, yep. Leon? You're going to come back next year because we're going to do the 2000s with Luther Vandross, right? Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. I'll well, check there. out uh, Leon on Facebook and the two <laughs> Luther Vandross group and go to Diva Bedick as well. We've got time for one more quick guest. We're going to bring in Danny Clay. He's been listening to the show all night. Hi, Danny. Hello. How are you? Good. Welcome to the show. And thank you. Thank you. Um, Man, this is amazing. I just quickly want to say that, um, and I say this with my heart, I love Luther Vandross. Um, I, Luther indirectly gave me a platform as far as sing, with singing. Uh, I was blessed to be discovered by Steve Harvey uh, in 2007, and for three years, I was singing Luther songs on the Steve Harvey Morning Show, and I won uh, – an opportunity to tour with Steve Harvey. And so I toured with him for three years singing Luther songs. And so it was, a, it was just the most amazing thing. And then I was picked up by Tyler Perry and I was in Medea's big happy family. And uh, Mr. Perry had me as the finale of the particular show of Medea's big happy family. And I sung a Luther song, if only for one night. And so to the family, uh, to Fonzie, it's just an honor to just listen to him and hear hear his voice. Uh, just know, I want to. I just want to say that I have a deep love for Luther, uh, and it's just it's just a great great honor and a pleasure to just be listening in on this show. This is a shock to me. So uh, I want to say hello to Fonzie, uh, hello to Luther's niece. Man, I I'm just it's just a blessing. And so that's all. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, should I put you on the spot? You're gonna sing something really quick for us. <laughs> oh, wow! Uh, <clears throat> one of my favorite Luthers. Uh, I can only speak for the things that I've been through, but when it comes to our love, I'll talk the whole night through about the loving I've been missing lately, baby. I ain't had no kissing. Don't you love me? Can we stay together like when we used to be in 
love. That's Promise Me. So that's one of my favorite favorite songs by Luther. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show, and thanks for doing that, Danny. And, hey, check us out on Facebook so we could get you on for next year as well. I really appreciate having you on the show. Absolutely. Tonight. Absolutely. Anything about Luther, I'm with it. All right. Maybe we'll see maybe we'll see Danny in New York City, everybody. All right. Hey, I want to thank all my guests tonight for being on the show and thank you most of all for listening. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e uh, e newsletter and our, at divabetic.org and visit Divabetic's Facebook pages like I just told Danny so that you could join and get updates on what Divabetic's doing to help with diabetes outreach. Remember, every diva has an entourage and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and healthy together. We're going to close this podcast with one of my very favorite Luther Vandross songs of all time. And my hope is that Luther's legacy continues to grow, not only for his amazing music, but also for the inspiration that he serves for all people affected by diabetes to lift their voice and talk about the issues that matter most with their doctors, family, and friends so that they could keep their house a home and learn how to prevent a diabetes health-related complication like a stroke from occurring. I believe that's possible. I really do. Here's a song from Luther Vandross. To dream the impossible dream to find the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow and to where the brave dare not go to the unrightable wrong and the love here and cheek from afar to try. When your arms are too weary To reach The unreachable star This is not where To follow the star No matter how hopeless Peaceful and calm When I'm late to 